Synthetic data could be generated algorithmically. Like you could have some、mm-hmm. rendering engine rendering the world, and then you're creating synthetic data. Like it could be like a 3D object that you design and you're synthesizing images. We can have some ratio of real and synthetic data, but the most important thing is we need fresh real data compared to just having real some ratio of real data. So some ratio of fresh real data is what can actually help us if we want to compare the amount of real data being generated and the amount of synthetic AI synth. Size data being generated. There, there's more real data being generated. There's no question about it right now. Hi, I'm Craig Smith, and this is Eye on AI. In this episode, I talk to AI researcher Ahmed Imtiaz about the phenomenon of model autophagy disorder, also known as MAD, in generative AI models. Ahmed explains how consuming their own generated data can cause models to lose diversity and become trapped in artifacts. He discusses experiments on image and text models, showing that this effect emerges quickly, though it's not yet clear how prevalent generated AI data is on the wider internet. We talk about the potential strategies to mitigate MAD, including using fresh data and watermarking so generated data can be recognized in training datasets. The conversation provides an insightful look at this emerging challenge. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete with costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber and Cohere, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com/ionai. That's e y e o n a i all run together. That's oracle.com/ionai. Thanks so much for having me over here, uh, Craig. Uh, I I'm a So I'm a I'm a PhD student at Rice,、uh, and I'm also a student researcher at Google right now. So I study、um, the theo- the the、uh, approximation theory for neural networks. So what I do is I I think of neural networks as piecewise affine functions,、um, and then I use this theory to see if we can explain how generative models work, if we can like do neural network interpretability,、uh, or even Say something about like why the neural network has like different training phases, like well, why we see such training dynamics that we see. So、um, uh, I I come from Bangladesh. I'm originally from Bangladesh. I did my undergrad there,、mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah,、uh, after my undergrad, I came here to do my PhD. I also founded、uh, like right after my undergrad. So this is also something that's、uh, really close to my heart. I have a passion project called Bengali AI, which is an Oh, yeah,、great. it's a nonprofit based in Bangladesh. 
And what we do is uh, we create data sets and we open source them for research uh, to accelerate research in like Bengali language technology, so LLMs, like, and also like speech recognition. Those are very primitive in Bangladesh. So, um, yeah. That's, that's interesting because I've, if I'm not mistaken, I've read that Bengali is one of the languages that is underserved in, in the training data for the big and, and consequently, uh, chat GBT and some of these don't do well in Bengali. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's not, it's not only like chat GPT, um, like for Bengali, we don't even have good OCRs, like it's in development, like OCRs and ASR. These are also like fundamental technology that's required, especially when you think of Bangladesh. It's like a, in South Asia, it's so densely populated. So if you have these like groundbreaking technology that can enable people to access technology, like in, in your own language, like if you have a Bengali chat GPT, mm -hmm. you get all the benefits of chat GPT, but in your own language, which is more, which makes yeah. accessibility like a, like an, like it makes it easy to access, right? So that's, that's sort yeah. of like the, the target that we have, like making, like making these models more targeted towards like, uh, the language specific crowd, uh, so that we can increase accessibility for the speakers over there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing I have to ask your screen name is Imtiaz. Yeah. Uh, is, is what's the naming convention is because I'm calling you Ahmed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so I have a big name. If you noticed, it's like Ahmed Imtiaz Mayun, right? <laughs> and um, uh, the funny thing is, like Ahmed is a very common name in Bangladesh. So if you look for an yeah. Ahmed in Bangladesh, it's gonna be yeah, who me? So yeah, that's why. So Imtiaz is like what I go with. So, Imtiaz is my preferred first name. Imtiaz. Yeah. Okay, great. Then I'll I'll start calling you Imtiaz. Yeah. Uh, yeah so you're now at Rice, is that yeah. right? Uh, and and. Uh, how how did this paper come about, and uh, and then uh, we can start talking about it. I'm I'm interested in. I don't know if I said it before, but the paper is self-consuming generative models go mad, and mad is an acronym. Uh, maybe you can yeah. first tell us what the acronym MAD stands for, and then uh, then we can get into the how you came about. Yep. doing the research and writing the paper. Yeah. So MAD is the acronym for Model Autophagy Dis Disorder. So autophagy is uh, a term that refers to like consuming someone, some like itself, like self-consuming, the, 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 the um, uh, self-consumption is like something that uh, is a keyword that has come up in, come up in like a lot of different literature. Uh, um, I, I, I recognize that, um, it's, it was also like mentioned in Greek literature and everything. So autophagy is the term that we chose to, um, sort of denote this behavior that we see when generative models, when they consume their own generated data, they start behaving, um, like in a non-standard way or by non-standard standard, I mean like something that we do not want to happen. So the way this research, so actually we started thinking about this problem, uh, I think more than a year ago now, uh, we were, uh, so like we, we, like we always travel to conference, like this, this idea of, um, increased accessibility to generative models would obviously increase the prevalence of generative data, generated data, AI synthesized data online, right? And we, that's what the, uh, companies or that's what we want in general. Like we want people to be able to access, uh, LLMs. We want people to be able to access mid journey or like such technology so that we can like, they can generate images that they want. 
And that's consequently going to lead to more synthesized data online. Right. So we've been thinking about this problem. And then uh, at a conference, we've been discussing with people and we see that uh, like there's this general uh, consensus in a lot of people working with large language models and working with big data that we might be running out of data in the future because like it, like we want to go exponential and to be able to maintain that trend, we need more data. But we don't see yeah. that much data being generated or like it's very easy to like uh, use up all the data that we have. Right. So maybe and there's also the implications of privacy. So there's this uh, whole research direction called membership inference attacks, where basically you can, like this. There are these algorithms through which you can find out if some data was in the training set of another model or not. So if you think about that, if there's like if all the data in the world, even sensitive data is being used to train models, then through membership inference attacks, you could be like you could possibly find out, OK, so this sample was in the training data. Uh, so this is like true. This is uh, like if I have like maybe some sensitive uh, document ID, right? And then if I can infer that this ID was inside this model's training data, then we can say, okay, so this should be a valid ID because it was in training data. That's ground truth, right? So so there's this whole idea of like um, like these like attacks or there is this whole idea of um, like privacy when we're using this data set, right? These data sets. So there are people who want to make like like train models in a private manner, so they might also be using synthetic data, like you synthesize data instead of using the real data, so that when those models mm -hmm. are being attacked, uh, like when they send it out in the open and someone attacks that model using membership inference attacks, uh, like it's gonna turn out that this is like these are synthetic data that's been trained on, so it's not gonna matter much. So there's this right. that there are people who want to use just synthetic data to train, and there's also synthetic data going out in the open into the internet. That's like filling up the internet with like synthetic content as well. So, uh, and people are running out of data. So there are like these, like couple of directions where we see this need for synthetic data. So that the, the natural question arises that what is the effect? So how differently is synthetic data going to play a role compared to real data? Cause it's not real. Um, synthetic data has been like, so there's like, I want to make a distinction. So synthetic data could be generated algorithmically. Like you could have some mm. rendering engine rendering the world and then you're creating synthetic data. Like it could be like a 3D object that you design and you're synthesizing images. But that's like one direction. But we're speaking of AI syn synthesized data because these AI models are getting like, like they're getting more prevalent. People are being able to use it and generate data. So we're th thinking of like AI synthesized data. How, how, what is that? What are the implications? So that's. Okay, yeah. let me let me let me just stop uh, to, to unpack some of that. Uh, first of all, on the synthesized and AI generated, uh, do do both have this autophagy effect? Uh, and I ask because I, uh, I I have a friend from the New York Times that then started a startup AI Reverie and uh, met about it, and he was they were a synthetic data company. Mm -hmm. Uh, visual data they were uh, you know producing uh you know entire cities rendering yep. entire mm -hmm. cities uh so does does that kind of data uh, have the same effect on a large model uh, as ai generated data or would the effect be different uh the effect would be so my in my opinion the effect would be different because like when you're synthesizing uh data using like a renderer uh then you wouldn't necessarily have this autophagy loop because you don't generate those images and then use the, those images to retrain the renderer. In a sense. Okay. So if there are elements in the okay. renderer that 
that do training, that do learn uh, based on the images that are being rendered. So if there's a generative model over there somewhere, then that could be affected by this feedback loop. But uh, in general, like um, like if we render data using these physics engines, uh, it doesn't like that is out of the scope of our discussion. Right, um, and and the um, before we we go on with it, <clears throat> can you just describe for listeners what is this this loop uh, and what happens? And my understanding is that you 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 lose the long tail and the data over time, and you end up with just the mean, but is, is yeah, just describe the, 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 the effect. Yeah. So, um, so the, the interesting part is that, um, so this effect basically says that if I want to like shorten these, like the takeaways, uh, the, the effects, uh, of like a self, uh, feedback loop in any format, like how, like whether it's like just generated data that's being used, synthetic data that's being used to train or whether it's in some ratio with training data. So the effect that we, that we, from our experience that we see is that we would have this loss of diversity, right? So we, like, like you said, it's going to be converging towards the mean. So we would, we would see like more, uh, like, uh, generic features, uh, uh, compared to like more diverse features. So we would, we would lose the tails, right? And another very, uh, interesting thing that we see is that, um, we, we see this, like this, uh, emergence of artifacts that are subject to the algorithms that are being used to generate the data. For example, I can t- talk about like two different generative models uh, that, that we studied. So we have, we can t- talk like there's stable diffusion that has like the diffusion model uh, method that's different from uh, just generative adversarial network that has a different way to train, right? And for both these methods, we've seen this autophagy effect or these artifacts sort of appear. And what we see is that it's subject to the algorithm uh, itself, for example, for StyleGAN or like the generative adversarial network that we've studied, we see that there are these like cross-hatching artifacts that are appearing uh, that are like that that could be related to the uh, the way these models behave or the way these models learn um, compared to diffusion models, which sort of have these blurring artifacts that are coming up. So uh, it's very subject to the models, but we do see this autophagy loop increasing the artifacts in the images. And it's, uh, yeah, yep. it's, it's not only just like something that happens like in the infinite limit. It happens like within uh, maybe 10 or 11 steps, like in, in a sh- short few steps of autophagy. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and this applies not only to uh, image generation, but to text generation as well. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, so there, there were some concurrent papers uh, uh, who were studying this effect for LLMs. So they've also seen that for, for large language models, if you retrain or fine tune a large language model with its own data, you would see a similar effect of like converging toward the mean and the, and the, and the generated data, like slowly, it also loses quality as in it loses, loses semantic meaning as you continue this loop. So it's a, it's a general phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one thing that, that I've, people have asked me, and I, I don't know, so I'll ask you, uh, how much, I mean, the, the internet is, the, the volume of data on the internet is, you know, massive. Yeah. Uh, it, it, has anyone been able to measure or estimate uh, how much of that data to date is generative, generative or generate AI generated? Uh, and are there any predictions for how that, percentage will grow i can imagine today mm-hmm. it's 
minuscule. Uh, but are there predictions about how that that might grow as as a generative AI spreads through the global economy? Yeah. Um, so um, two questions, right? The first one is uh, yep. what fraction of data is currently synthetic online? Um, it's very hard to like say what is synthetic and what is not. Even like that, we have these methods to detect deep fakes, and like a mm -hmm. lot of technology is being built uh, to be able to detect synthetic data, but it's not completely like infallible, right? So, so mm -hmm. there's I, I I'm not aware of any studies where they are claiming that such a fraction of the data on the internet is generated. But we've seen that already uh, in the data that's being used to train large models like stable diffusion. For image generation, we see that in Layon, uh, the, the the large like open source data set that's being used to train these large models already contains some synthetic data, and it wasn't that hard to find. So if we say that how yeah. how did you find it? Oh, that's oh so it's a, there's a website called Know Your Data. Um, uh, mm -hmm. So uh, or and there's also like another called Have I Been Trained? So through these websites, you can explore these data sets that are being used to train to see if your image was there or not. So you can search on these data sets using queries. And and like like it was very easy to like just like one or two queries away, we were able to find some synthetic data on those data sets. Uh, like AI synthesized data. Uh, yeah. What what was the the query that you would use? So we we uh used like avocado on a chair. That's like the reason yeah. Oh yeah. Right, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like an avocado <laughs> chair, a chair shaped like an avocado, stuff like that. Like something that people yeah. would use yeah. to generate these if images. You know. Yeah. And then we yeah. were able to yeah. find it. Yeah. yeah. And that actually, uh, I don't mean to get sidetracked. <laughs> I do want to get back to the paper. But another question that people ask me and that I can't answer, uh, there there are the model builders like OpenAI, Anthropic, and Google, yeah. and whoever, uh, and they're training on data. And people ask me, well, where does the data come from? And I say, well, it's on the Internet. Mm -hmm. But what are the and then I but but there are, there's a class of a middleman uh, data preparers or data prep companies uh, that are are packaging the data into data sets like uh, Lion or, or others. I mean, Lion is an academic data yeah. set, but there there are companies that are doing this. And uh, how are they getting the data? Uh, and f for example, uh, I was talking to my wife this morning about uh, the, this lawsuit against OpenAI mm -hmm. by Sarah Silverman, uh, the comedian. Uh, that's a copyrighted book. How did OpenAI get uh, a digitized First. copy of that book if it's copyrighted? Yeah. Did they did they buy it a Kindle version? I mean, yeah. how what how does it actually yeah. happen? Do you do you understand? Yeah, that? Uh, in my opinion, I think um, it's just how humans work. Uh, I, Sarah Silverman's book is quite good, and I think that's why some humans had decided to put it on the internet. Like people do piracy all the time, right? There, there, there are a lot of websites where there are PDFs, and I think um, like those are maybe sources from which it might have come. Uh, into the training data sets. So it's, it's like when we are like going out into the internet to just get all the data, um, it's, it's very hard to, uh, say like, like, w like the, the way it generally works is like we get, uh, an initial set to then scan through and select, right? So that's how like data set mm -hmm. preparation, that's how we do it at Bengali AI as well. We, we crowdsource the data, we crowdsource an initial set and then we, 
we we annotate it or we clean it up. So uh, so my assumption is yeah. And and, and just uh, let me step that first step when you outsource. How is are those just web crawlers scraping the internet or or are people uh, downloading all of the Gutenberg uh, <laughs> online library or all of the Google books uh, online or how, how w the mechanics yeah. of getting that data into a data set, how does that so happen? So I, like, I would assume it's, it's being crawled because it's actually, um, it's generally uh, like given the scale at which we need to train these large language models, right? It, it's, it's actually impossible for us to like have like ma like anything manual in that. That's why like even in the in the, right. the Leon data set, they collected like all the images and then they had like an automated method to score those images and say whether the captions captions are are matching up with the images or not. So it, these were all automated. They were like it's very hard to do anything manual there. Um, so if it's like a smaller data set, then we can assume that there could be some manual intervention. But for these like super large data sets, uh, it's mostly like crawled uh, from the internet. Yeah. yeah. So OpenAI, for example, they don't have, uh, I mean, Google, it's obvious. They have the data uh, through the search engine. But OpenAI, would they have hired a, uh, a, a data collection company to go out and, and scrape the web? And then I imagine there's some prep mm -hmm. in uh, putting it into a format that, that then can the the model can be mm -hmm. trained on. Yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, like that's something. Uh, it's kind of specific to OpenAI. I'm not really sure whether I know like what they did, but we know from like uh, the public records that they for the the the, the RLHF datasets they did outsource it to some other uh, companies who did collect the like help collect the RLHF datasets or prepare it. Right? So I don't know if it's like exactly yeah. outsourcing or if it's like part of OpenAI because. These are big companies, right? Yeah. So, um, but but I, I assume that uh, there needs to be like for RLHF, for example, there needs to be the human element because we need the data set to align our models. Right. Uh, but uh, for when we just need like a large chunk of good quality text, I think the manual intervention would be more towards like how we can like curate the text in an automated way. So th even that's hard because there there can be so many different cases, right? So there can be like cases that you need to handle. Uh, maybe like uh, put in fail safe so that you don't really uh, like scrape the 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 insensitive part of the the internet where you have like all the like everybody saying whatever they want to right like 4chan maybe who knows so there there right. there could be like there the, those are the parts where there could be manual intervention coming in and maybe like uh, like you would need a big team to be able to do that it could be that they're using like other teams as well. Yeah, so there would be like a a whitelist. Not a whitelist; it would be too large. A, a blacklist, you know, that you cannot scrape from uh, these domains, and then you set your web crawler free, and it's uh, it's gathering this data. And and that then is that data uh, converted into vectors, or is it uh, is it dumped into a giant? Uh, text file or how, how does what, what's the next step uh yeah generally um the way it should work is um so for when you're when you're collecting like when you're scraping data from the internet at least like at my company what we do is um if we create image data sets we generally take 
take uh, keep track of the URLs that are being scraped. And then I think even for Layon, when they release the data set, they basically release the URLs. So if someone uh, from the internet, like someone from whosoever like web page, one image has been scraped, if they like remove that image, then that URL is, URL is not going to work anymore. So that the, the data set right. sort of changes. So that way the data sets are dynamic depending on like the actual owners of the data. Uh, and the only thing that the, the, the like Leon is releasing are the URLs. So, um, so I that see. is like one me method in which like data could be uh, shared. And so, so, and I'm sorry, I'm saying Leon, you're saying Leon is, is, am, am I mispronouncing? It's L-Y-O-N, It's right? L-A-I-O-N, yeah. Okay, L-A-I-O-N, yeah. my mistake. Uh, yeah, so uh, Leon, when Leon is, um, uh, it, it's a list, it's a, a set of URLs, how does a, a company or a, a, a lab convert that into training data? Well, they would like then download the data, like download using the URLs that are valid and then uh, have their own methods to like uh, pre-select which sample they want to use. It could be based on right. keywords or any other like filter that they have. Right. And and is that data then downloaded in in a, in the text format or, or is it immediately vectorized and Put into a massive vector database. Um, yeah, th these are like very uh, case specific. So this would vary between like for oh. some labs. Like for for some people, it would be it would it could be like more convenient to have like JPEG images, for example. If, and then so when we when we think about such large data sets, it, there are more uh, more efficient ways to store this data, uh, as well as like um, like transfer this between like memory or like uh, between like locations, right? So. Um, uh, I'm guessing like it would be very case specific. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So back to the paper, uh, the internet is, has yeah. some fraction uh, of, uh, of its content as uh, AI generated, uh, presumably a very small fraction at this point, yeah. but you're already seeing uh, autophagy uh, or this uh, mad effect or uh, is that only in in the the uh, the testing that you yeah. do with uh, you know in a in a yeah. closed system? Yeah. Uh, great question. So uh, we don't see. So it's so so the the autophagy is very interesting. As in, like um, the effects of autophagy or the symptoms of autophagy, they come up late, even after like autophagy has been happening for a while. So we don't necessarily see symptoms of autophagy, or we haven't really um, like we haven't even like very rigorously explored as well like if stable diffusion has any autophagy effects. It's not it's kind of like non-trivial to see like if there are autophagy effects over there. But uh, we do see that like um, in in our in our controlled experiments when we're where we're using the same algorithms used to train stable diffusion, the same algorithm behind like uh, generative models. Uh, when we when we do those controlled experiments, we do see that um, autophagy is happening in like in a few steps. So there are like three different uh, sort of um, uh, settings where which we explore. So one setting is where we're like completely training a model using its own generated data. So we take take suppose some generative model, we create some data, and then we take another like we 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 start from scratch. So we retrain another similar generative model using that generated data and see like what the effects are. So this is like the most extreme case. 
and it would be relevant for like like I was saying, like people who want to use just synthetic data to for privacy purposes, right? So that is that is where we would see like the 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 strictest form of autophagy effects coming up, right? So we would see very fast like very fast decay of the diversity, uh, and then you would see these artifacts come up very like way faster. Uh, another setting would be where suppose we have like some training data set that we are always going to use. So we always have this fraction of real data, but then we are going to create synthetic data to uh, like and augment the original training data that I, that I have. Yeah. And the reason a lot of people actually have been thinking about this is because like if you think of uh, suppose that like we have two different images, like one is my image and another is your image, right? And then um, you want to like, there are a couple of images between these two faces. Like if we think of interpolating between my face and your face, then we would see like a, we, there, there can be like a continuous change in the facial features that I have that maybe would slowly lead to your face. Right. Um, right. So, uh, so if, if we have a generalized generative model, then a generalized generative model by definition should be able to do this interpolation. It has learned the data manual. So it knows like what the, like how to go from my face to your face. Right? So a lot of people, what they've been thinking of doing is like using generative models to create these intermediary faces uh, compared to what you have in training data, right? You have like, when you generate synthetic data, you would get these intermediary faces compared to what's in the training data. So you, that might help yeah. in training a newer generation of models. But these people have been thinking of using synthetic data as well. So over there, what we see is that the autophagy effect does exist, but it's a little, it's not as sharp as just training on synthetic data, but it doesn't stop autophagy from happening. We do see that if we have a fixed training set, uh, if we, ha if we keep generating more synthetic data, it's going to slowly decay towards like madness. Uh, one small thing that I, that I wanted to mention is like the, the term mad comes from like it's actually very much inspired from the mad cow disease because yeah because oh, yeah, we, we yeah. like Woo. like some person had yeah. the smart idea that okay let's feed like cow cow brains to other cows or something right and then yeah. uh, uh, like it maybe it was a good idea at first but then it turned out to have the the self-consuming loop led to some very bad effects so um yeah yeah so that i mean it's also it's it's the same principle in in uh, uh, in incest or or narrow uh, uh, gene pools yeah, yeah. Or, or small gene pools where the yeah uh, the um, so uh, first before we talk about how you might deal with mm -hmm. this uh, <clears throat> so you're seeing it already you were saying these these hash marks in in uh, a style fusion yeah, it was a style generation. This or, is like a yeah, style gans, yeah. Uh is is um do you is there some uh metric about how much uh and I understand it's model specific and algo specific, but uh you know that you once you reach uh two percent or five percent or ten percent or twenty percent of generative generative uh data uh you're going to start seeing this effect or is it can, can you is it impossible to say oh, the, the percentage of generated data versus like real data right yeah. versus real data yes. yeah so, yeah that is that is a that is like a very important thing that we want to explore in the future and we've done some explorations as well um so the the most important takeaway there is um we can have some ratio of real and 
like synthetic data. But the most important thing is we need fresh real data compared to just having real, some ratio of real data. So some ratio of fresh real data is what can actually help us sort of like nullify the effects. Like maybe asymptotically, uh, we, are, we are doing more studies here, but asymptotically we could have a, have like a situation where like this percentage of fresh new, real data on every loop would basically uh, keep delaying like the mad cow effect to like asymptotically, right? So we will never reach right. like autophagy. Um, yeah. yeah. And and the um, in terms of the internet, because of course the popular mind, the layman's mind, goes to, wow, you know, all of this uh, generated AI generated data is going online. Maybe in a hundred years, ninety percent of the data online will be AI generated, uh, and then. Uh, you know, this, this autophagy will really be a problem. Yeah. Uh, is, is that something that you guys have contemplated? Is that, uh, is the growth of generated uh, data so uh, high in, with regard to the generation of real data yeah. that that's possible? Um uh, if we want to compare the amount of real data being generated and the amount of generated, like synthetic AI synthesized data being generated, um, there's obviously like more people, like there, there's more real data being generated. There's no question about it right now. Uh, right. but like the thing is that the direction that we want to go towards is people adopting these technologies to, yeah, to like help generate, like to help write better. Maybe or help, like help with the 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 image that they're trying to create, right? So we want people to be adopting this. So we want all the people in the world to slowly start using these generative models, and that would be beneficial in so many domains. Um, I think that is why, uh, like, it's it's we can like we can like it, it's not like a uh, like a scenario that's that's sort of sci-fi, right? It's almost here. Like we have. Like a lot of different websites that are completely generated. Like there, there. I think there was an article. I don't know if it was um, New York Times or Guardian, where they were reporting that there are like these fake news websites, which are like com which are completely generating data using LLMs, right? So we already have these sources that are creating these websites, create like only creating synthetic data, and we have people who are using using like millions of people using ChatGPT to write better, right? So so slowly, mm -hmm. like from this point on, like from Chat the the uh the chat GPT going public for use and then onwards we're gonna see a shift in the language that's being uploaded online right in the way things are being written yeah. and and yeah. we we want it to be adopted more so we'll see this this effect grow as time goes on right so that's why yeah. uh like it's uh that's why we wanna we need to think about this right now as in like okay so we the the new generation of gpts maybe gptn when we try to train it uh, maybe after training, we'll see that it's very formal. Like it sounds very formal because for the past 10 years, people have been using GPT like technology to write like more formally or in a very nicer way. Right. So, yeah. so those effects would start coming up. Uh, and for us to not like meet that point where like our performance is getting saturated, right? We want to start thinking right now, like how we can like deal with this uh, probable phenomenon that we're going to see. Yeah. So, so what are some of the uh, strategies that you might pursue that could deal with this? 
Yeah. Um, so I, like, like I was saying that there's this, the idea of having fresh new data, which can be one strategy of mitigating the, the mad phenomena, right? Um, uh, another way could be like another easy way that we should like try right now actually is, um, just watermark the data that we are generating. Like we already, we right. already see like when Dali was released, Dali had that like sort of the, the multicolored watermark block right at, right at the bottom, right? Uh, and, um, there's also like this, uh, like recently Google released, uh, Google announced that they'll be using SynthID on all of their generated images. So SynthID is basically they put in some really imperceptible like watermark into the image that you can use to like see like that's something I think is also being used in YouTube and a lot of other, uh, like where, where people are uploading their like, uh, content, uh, to be able to like monitor if it's been copied or something, right? So SynthID is also going to be used in generated uh, images. So that's like another thing. Uh, there, there's a lot of research going towards watermark. So watermarking could be one way to detect these images. But then um, if we want to use any of these watermarks, so there's this dilemma. If we want to use these watermarked images to train generative models, we, uh, we have forcefully added this noise into the image and then we're using that to train the model. So that's going to that's gonna increase the autophagy effects because autophagy basically, um, like it, it, it exaggerates these hidden artifacts. That's why we see this cross, cross hatching coming up in StyleGun too. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so there's yeah. this dilemma of, okay, watermarking and then, okay, so now we can detect synthetic data, but autophagy might still happen. So then we need autophagy aware watermarking, meaning that once we detect the watermark, we should be able to remove it as well before using it for training. So, so that we have like the, the actual information intact. So this can be like an interesting, uh, like, a, like a, this would be an interesting dynamic field to like sort of do research in. A lot of like adversarial like attack research. Uh, if you're aware, like neural networks, like for some impossible change in the input uh, can behave completely differently. And, and yeah. the, the way yeah. it became such a, such a, like a, the way the field was explored or the way it flourished was there are a lot of people working on attack methods and a lot of people working on defense methods. So then there could be, uh, like, there, there can also be, like, in terms of these autophagy effects, there could be a lot of people working on watermarks and a lot of people working on, like, removing the watermarks to, like, mitigate the the effect of watermarking on, like, autophagy, right? So um, so this can yeah. be, like, interesting. Yeah. Although the point of watermarking would be uh, in order to exclude those things from the training data, um, right? Like you 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 might want to keep like like i was saying like there there is there could be some benefit of having some synthetic data in your in your training as long mm -hmm. as you have fresh real data right so uh you might right. want to keep some synthetic data maintain that ratio compared to your fresh new data that you're getting and then try to retrain and that's how we will get like keep getting better because we want to keep getting better that's the target right, right? that's right and the uh Fresh, real. So, but in any case, watermarking. And I, I, I just interviewed the. I can't remember. He's the CEO or CTO of Digimark, who's the biggest watermarking uh, company in the world. And then Scott Aronson, uh, who's uh, computer science out of Texas, who's working on safety for OpenAI. He's working specifically on on watermarking text, which is obviously uh, much. Uh, more difficult by by creating yep. statistical uh, patterns uh, that in in the generated text that can be recognized by another system, but uh, watermarking would would be a way of excluding 
uh, data, uh, synthetic data from training sets, or at least knowing what uh, ratio or what ratio you have. Uh, without that, there's really no way to know, right? Yeah, without that, like there are like without watermarks, um, it's there. There are going to be ways to maybe find out what synthetic. Like there are ways that are there right now, but as we keep improving, it's going to keep getting harder, right? So, so yeah. that's that's the that's like one aspect of it. So um, there could be like other methods to like control this as well, because this is like a new like this is a new phenomenon that we will observe. And uh, there are a lot of um, like research groups who are starting to like jump in and study this phenomenon. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, be yeah. yeah because uh, uh, finding synthetic data to train a model on is fairly straightforward. Uh, once the internet is polluted with synthetic data that's not watermarked, uh, it'll be very difficult to find fresh real data, right? Uh, and and it's obviously not practical and and uh, would be too costly to generate real data just to train a model. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is like this is this is a very good question. Um, I think there might be like something in the maybe companies in the future they decide okay we are going to generate our own data and and like maybe like like when I when I think about this situation I like the first thing that comes to my mind is matrix. <laughs> So in Matrix, we have like, yeah. humans generating something for the machines, right? So uh, there, it could be that we have like a situation where uh, we want to generate, like companies might want to generate their own data, could be for privacy purposes, could be just to get the fresh real data that we need to be to keep on accelerating. Because we, we do see this exponential growth, but because of such phenomena, it could be that we saturate and then we would need to do interventions to keep growing, keep getting like better models. Right, so. Yeah, and when you say saturate, this is another thing that uh, somebody was asking me this morning. Actually, is there a point at which so the LMs are right now training uh, primarily on uh, public uh, data on the internet? Is there a point at which all of that data would have been used to train a model or models? And does that create some sort of a convergence between models, even though they're they're owned by different companies? Uh, if they're all being trained at some point on on the same data, yeah, that's a that's a very good question. Um, yeah, the convergence of models to one um, one sort of um, uh, to a similar like it, it's very hard to like sort of say um, whether. Like two different algorithms are going to converge to the same uh, same point or not? Like it it is intriguing that using the same data um, that could be a case that happened. But we've seen that for a lot of these like the open source models that we have, that's why I think open sourcing is so important. So that because because we have these open source large language models, and because people are like doing studies on these models, like we've seen that um, uh, there are a lot of different tricks you might also have to apply to get the utility out of your network. So just training on the data might not be the be all to get the performance that you desire. So, um, so there, I, I think there would be the aspect of like a recipe as well, apart from having the data, uh, the data and the recipe together gives you like the perfect dish of like an amazing, uh, large language model. I think. Yeah. 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 And then there's the other, I've, I've started talking to people, uh, about, 
other AI uh, architectures or strategies beyond generative uh, pre-trained transformer models. I mean, there is that that is people. Uh, it's certainly in the popular mind today that is AI, but there's AI is a very large field. Uh, the uh, and just another question uh, related to data data collection uh, and. Probably you won't be able to answer it, but you certainly could take a stab at it uh, in a more educated way than I could. Uh, OpenAI, you know, GPT-4, uh, for example, uh, has that, what percentage of the internet has that consumed in its training? Oh, wow. Do you have any idea? Uh, I don't think, like, uh, I don't think anybody has any idea, like, other than OpenAI. Because with the, with the rising trend of... Um, like companies, they don't want to share the information right. that, of how they're building their their flagship products. Right? So, um, like apart from Meta, who's like releasing everything, like I, I'm completely pro open source. So there's, I'm gonna add something about this uh, a little while later. But uh, to answer your question, like it's it's very hard to say like how much they're using. Uh, but I would assume they're trying to use all the good quality data that they can get. Um, yeah. So, so we and let's talk about Llama then because. Uh, Again, you're pronouncing it different than me. Is it llama, uh, not llama? It could be llama. Yeah, that, that's that's yeah, that's something. Yeah, I'm not sure like what the perfect pronunciation <laughs> for llama is. Yeah, uh, but uh, is it possible at this point, or or very soon, it will have consumed all of uh, the internet? Um, the the pub, not the dark web, obviously, but but the public internet. Yeah, um, like. The, there's going to be this limitation. Like it also like requires some time to train these models, you know. So suppose like you're in 2021 and you take all the data and you start training your model, and then like it'll it'll need some time to develop your model. So it'll it'll take one more year. So you'll always be in a situation where you're maybe behind by a year, um, right? right? So yeah. that's what we see in ChatGPT as well. We have like data up till 2021. Right. So I think uh, that would that effect would be there. Like we would not always have like the like everything consumed by a network, uh, but um, but yeah, I think like any any good amount like good text that exists, I think these models would be using it. Um, the social media companies, so social media data is very different from the data we have online in terms of like in the block sites in like Wikipedia and stuff, right? Uh, social media data is very unstructured and uh, it can be very um, like it's very hard to sort of quality control like. From my personal experience, like from our sure. company, when we work with social media data for, like we, we generally, what we do is we crowdsource data uh, and we open source them to crowdsource the solutions as well. Uh, the way we crowdsource solutions is through competitions. So we have like a Kegel competition running right now for like $50,000 prize money uh, on Bengali speech mm -hmm. recognition. So we basically crowdsource the data online by through influencer campaigns and through like targeted social media campaigns. Uh, and then we just crowdsource the solutions to this competition, right? So in these settings, when we are crowdsourcing data, uh, uh, if we ever try to crowdsource data through social media, we always see that it's very unstructured in the sense that, like, in social media, it's very hard to control for, like, that's, that's natural, naturals, like, more natural text, maybe, but more natural text is, like, it has, like, a lot of, um, like, bad words. It has, like, uh, transliterations. It has, like, code switching and, like, spelling mistakes, so many different things, right? So um, it's harder to work with social media data. So maybe like it could be that um, like 
the, the social media and the data that exists in out in the public to be used to be used for training. Uh, maybe the the companies will work towards like other. Maybe they already have methods to clean that data up. Like so, it's going to be case specific. Like social media data would have to be handled differently compared to Wikipedia data or something. But uh, I think yeah. people would be yeah. doing that to get more good quality data to train. Yeah, and then you were going to say something about LLMs. I have yeah, yeah. another question, but I don't want you to forget what you're. Oh, I was say. I was talking about like the 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 openness, like the the like. Uh, right. Open sourcing, I feel like, is so important. So there was a so there uh, there there is a an archive paper that David Donohoe, who's like a legend in the field, uh, he he posted a couple of days ago, where he says that um, so he he takes a stab at the the existential crisis question, right? Uh, and and yep. what he says is like uh, and which resonates with me so much is that there like there are three things that have accelerated this field, and those three things are also gonna are also it's also going to ensure that we don't have some like we don't have a situation when we are like gonna like not exist anymore, right? And the three things is like uh, code code sharing, uh, sharing code and recipes between like people like oh, free code code sharing. Uh, the 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 second thing is data sharing, uh, which we like we have like in in all the like all in everything in AI has like happened because of data sharing. Like, we have ImageNet, right? Like someone open source that like Fayfabe. Uh, like has completely changed, like how, like completely accelerated how uh, computer vision progress. So, uh, and the third is competitive, like competitions. So uh, these three together, um, like sharing large language, like if we think of large language models, sharing the code and data for large language models, as well as um, like sharing the code and data for um, um, uh, these, uh, like, uh, uh, like for generative model, like stable diffusion as well, right? So these are gonna, these I feel like are very important to be able to assess these networks, uh, so that we can actually tackle like any existential crisis question that can come up in the future, right? So, um, yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. The question I was going to ask is about open source because I've been debating with some very smart people on this. Uh, who take the view that uh, open source uh, will not dominate uh, because there's too much value creation in uh, in proprietary models, and the real and 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 in order to create that value, you need tremendous financial resources, yeah. and the open source community will never have resources uh, to match. Uh, uh, the the pro proprietary uh, models, uh, and certainly Meta is the exception. But the question is whether or not Meta will continue to invest in open source models, mm -hmm. and and there's a big question mark as to why they would do that given the cost. And then there's, you know, that's interesting what you say about the existential threat, but. But these models are are extremely powerful once they're open source. Uh, people can remove the guardrails and do whatever they want with them. Uh, and I mean, I, I think Jeff Hinton, or at, used, at least Joshua Bengio quoted Jeff Hinton as saying, you know, would you open source uh, nuclear weapons? You know, it's uh, it's too dangerous to to hand to any potential malicious actor out there. And unfortunately, there are a lot of them. Uh, so how do you feel about that debate? First of all, do you think open source can marshal the resources uh, 
to dominate or or at least compete with proprietary models? And two, what about the dangers of open source? Yeah, um, like uh, working in the open source domain, like myself, I think I, I like. I agree with this partially that it would be very hard for open source to match the performance of proprietary models because like open source efforts is basically community efforts. So wherever you Mm -hmm. need capital for like making something better, uh, the closed source models are going to be better, right? They have more. So suppose like we run out of real data on the internet. Uh, Only the big companies have enough capital to um, like hire teams to create new data. Uh, the, so the yeah. open source efforts, uh, it, it might, so it could be that some big company does that and open sources the data. So that would be some, that would be completely on them. But just for the open source models in like what the development that's happening with open source models right now, uh, it might be like, obviously it could be hard to like compete with the, with the, like the proprietary models, right? Uh, but the benefit is not in performance when you open source. So the benefit is in understanding what these models are doing. Uh, there are so many research groups who are studying the open, like Llama 2, for example. They're studying these large language models to see like when they're failing, why they're behaving this way, how to interpret them better. And when something is open source, like it's, it's theoretically you have like n number of heads who can work on, on this problem, right. right? Compared to when you're in a company, you have like, uh, you have the number of heads is limited by the budget that you have to hire people. Right. So, so yeah. it's always going to be like open sourcing models is always going to allow more people to solve the problems with AI that, 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 that we see that could harm people or that, that like them, uh, like having bias. So there are people studying the bias in networks. That's why. And they're being able to do that with the open source models. Right. So I think open That's source right. has the benefits in that, in that direction, uh, compared to, um, uh, like maybe they won't be able to match the performance of proprietary data. Uh, proprietary models someday, but um, they'll be able to help the people working with proprietary models to make decisions on how to make them better as well. Like it benefits everyone, yeah. benefits humanity. Like better models help everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's uh, interesting on the on the dangers of open source. Uh, I don't remember how long ago, a couple of years ago, I interviewed a guy named Connor Leahy. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know him? From uh, he and he started Eleuther AI, an incredible organization uh, that is now incorporated. And but at the time, it was uh, a totally de- decentralized group of hackers on Discord. And I I think it was uh, when GPT two, maybe it was when GPT three came out. Uh, they said, "Hey, let's let's build it open source," and they built GPTJ, and now they have. Neo, I can't remember the name of the the models that they have now, but uh, but Connor became so freaked out by the dangers of these models being not only uh, existing but being open source that he quit Eleuther AI and he's has a startup now that works on the alignment. Mm-hmm problem on 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 ai safety what do you think about the danger of open source of of having turning these powerful models over to whoever wants to use them yeah um like without a doubt there are so many risks involved right um like when we open source really strong models like like we see fake websites full of text that's being generated right fake news these are going to be like super easy spamming people like you can like generate emails and just send millions of emails out 
like we had the the Nigerian prince before. Maybe now we have like the like the AI overlord from Mars who is sending emails to everybody, right? So so yeah. there could be like these situations can happen. Uh, but like so, this is my belief completely. So what I'm gonna say now. So I believe that when we think of like when we open source, we send it out to all everybody, right? All of people. And when we have such big number of peoples, uh, the law of large numbers should come into play, right? So we would have some modal tendency of doing something and then we would have like tails. And I believe that humans in general, um, we, the mode should be towards good because humans, yeah. we, we to survive in society, we have to like talk nicely with other people, right? And we have to behave nicely. We need to help others so we can get help, right? So I think like, because of that reason, when we open source, the, the mode would be towards good, but there are always going to be people towards the tails who'd want to do bad with it. And then comes the, and right. then comes the question, how much resources do these people have? So if we have wow. bad actors with a lot of resources, that's when bad things can happen. Like if, you, if you're talking about like open sourcing nuclear, uh, nuclear missiles, right? So if you have someone who has the cap like the capital to build like nuclear missiles, like they have access to uranium and all the, the everything needed to build them. That's when it becomes so so dangerous, right? But then if you don't have access to that, then it's it's just yeah. I have another piece of paper that says like how to make uh, like a bomb, a big bomb, or something, right? So I feel like um, it's gonna be subject to that person, to us humans. It's gonna be on us humans who have, especially who have capital, right? Who have the the capability to use this in a bad way. Uh, we would then, that's when we need to like, that's where we need to think about like, okay, so, uh, as long as the people who want to do good, uh, uh, are like being able to like maybe triumph over the people who are trying to do bad, as long as FBI is like, like hunting all the people who's like using this to do maybe like the, the worst possible things on the dark web, uh, I, like the, the good will triumph, the, the mode will be towards the good. Yeah. But that's, that's my, that's yeah. my belief. That's what I think. Yeah. So, uh, so what we like this idea of self-consuming neural networks, um, like we have these uh, amazing collaborators on this paper, especially the, like I must mention the, the first two authors, uh, Sina Ali Mohammed and, and Josue Casco Rodriguez, who were like, who like literally spearheaded this research and, um, uh, brought these amazing insights out. So like, um, like everybody go check their papers as well. They're like amazing researchers. Yeah. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete with costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber and Cohere, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash ionai. That's E-Y-E-O-N-A-I all run together. 
That's oracle.com slash ionai. That's it for this episode. I want to thank Ahmed for his time. If you want to read a transcript of the conversation today, you can find one, as always, on our website, eye-on.ai. And remember, the singularity may not be near, but AI is changing our worlds. So pay attention. <laughs>